right, family. Welcome, welcome to the Sunny Side View podcast, of course, where we explore the bright side of life through meaningful conversations. I'm Sunny B, back again, and I have the dopest, most amazing, wonderful educators here with us. I have a couple of my friends who are here, so I want you guys to briefly introduce yourself because, of course, y'all know this month is Men's Month, so I'm celebrating just watching all of our men in different aspects of life. So tonight, as we explore education, I want you guys to introduce yourself, maybe tell us a little bit about your background, your teaching experience, um, and then we'll get into some questions about being a man in, in education. Uh, we'll start with you, Brandon. Let's start with you. All right, hello everybody. Um, I'm Brandon, I've been teaching now, for, I'm going on 10 years. Um, I have a master's degree in curriculum instruction um, and working towards uh, an education specialist. Um, just, I've really, I teach seventh grade science and really enjoyed it. Um, I teach that my whole career in one school. So, yeah. You've been at the same place all seven years? That's wild. <laughs> same place, all time. Nice. Thank you, Brandon. Landon, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your education background, your teaching experience. Yep. So I am a second career educator. Um, I worked in public education and youth ministry for the first like eight, nine years. And now um, I just finished my eighth year of classroom formal education. I've taught um, everything from third grade up through eighth grade and this past year, I just finished my first year teaching strictly just middle school, sixth grade science. So um, it was definitely something I've been working towards a long time and um, absolutely love every, almost every aspect of it. So Okay. I appreciate the transparency. <laughs> Brandon agrees with that. Uh, Mr. Schmaltz, are you able to unmute and get on? I think we might have Mr. Schmaltz here, y'all. He's a legend. So we'll see. I know he was having some trouble with his audio so we'll come back to him and, and we'll get him in there as soon as we can so super dope to have all of y'all on um like uh, landon i recently uh, connected with teach for america so i was just telling everybody i started my student teaching and teaching be teaching that's <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing time we have um, but, you know, I just want to kind of ask you guys, you know, I was inspired to come into education because I felt like as somebody who was passionate about young people, I served in youth ministry for a really long time, um, serving in the church for a really long time. I always gravitated toward um, our young people and being concerned about what they're doing next. Like, hey, where are you going next? What's happening here? Um, and so I felt like, uh, we are, you know, we have the opportunity to those of us who can and are passionate about it because, you know, we don't want people who just hate kids to be teachers. Like, no, if you can and you're passionate about it, I felt like it was our social responsibility to do so. And so um, I'm super excited. And just like Landon, this is my second career or third or whatever. Uh, but uh, I wanted to hear with you guys just about some motivation and inspiration, like what inspired you? to become a teacher and to pursue this career in education? I'll go first if that's okay. Um, what inspired me <clears throat> to become a teacher is great teachers that I had growing up. Um, ones who I saw 
really made an impact on me or on others. Um, and on, on the flip side of that, um, bad teachers, bad teachers inspired me to, to be a teacher too. Um, teachers who were quick to give up or teachers who kind of set you in a way without really knowing you um, and kind of try to push you down a path. Um, so it was both for what inspired me was both good teachers and really bad teachers. Um, I have fam family members who um, retired as teachers or still teaching um, and kind of just to go that way as well. But um, I, my biggest inspiration, it was, was the good teachers and the bad teachers that I had. No, did on to that. Um, honestly, very similar situation. Funny story though, I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, that was I was I went against it at the beginning um, in college. I I went into college as a psych major. Um, I knew I wanted to work with kids in some way. I wanted to be a doctor for a long time, um, but I did not want to be a teacher because my mom was a teacher. My aunts were teachers. Like my family is full of teachers. And so I vowed to not be a teacher, but look at where I am now, right? So, um, but same reason. Um, I just, my teachers, it's how I ended up where I am, where where I, my passion is, is middle school. And that's where I ultimately, uh, well, that's where I am and will ultimately want to end up being right teaching middle school students because of my middle school teachers. Um, but also I got a passion um, from teaching through mentorship. Um, I was a part of the um, 100 ba um, Black Men of Atlanta, the Collegiate 100 portion of it. And we did um, we mentored high school students while I was in college. And that kind of pushed me in that direction, ultimately, um, through tutoring, through them, doing Saturday school, all that good stuff. So that's how I ended up where I am. Yeah, I love that. I think um, for me, you know, Landon and I went to the same uh, school district growing up. We went to the same high school. And um, I had some great teachers. I think probably one of the um, biggest um, memories that I have is we had this radio teacher named Mr. Hattersley. And I, I probably, I realized as, you know, as an adult that I probably had like undiagnosed ADHD, like for real. But I remember Mr. Hattersley when we were when we were taking radio, he let me take my test on the floor. Like I was just laying on. He had like this carpet in his floor. It was a radio room. Landon and I used to do radio stations together. Like it was funny. <laughs> but I remember him just being like, I was like moving around, and he was like, "Well, just take it. Just lay on the floor and take it." And it was like a light bulb went off, right? And so I just I don't know. I always remember that particular memory sticking out because at that point I think I had I mean I was like in the 10th or 11th grade so it wasn't you know I wasn't in kindergarten but it had took that long for somebody to just tell me it was okay for me to take it in another way you know oh. um, so it really kind of as I you know as I got older and kind of through like ministry and you know teaching youth stuff you know I kind of was like scratching the itch um until I really got to a place where you know, I started really looking around like right now and I started realizing that there are some crazy people in politics and they are really going to mess up history. So like I need to be in this space, you know, to make sure that the next generation is not getting this watered down history. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so I'm going to um, I'm going to be teaching middle school, social studies, social studies and, and ELA. 
So um, I'm excited because, you know, I kind of get to marry the two, uh, but I'm particularly interested in going to underserved communities, which Teach for America is allowing me to do. Mm-hmm. But all of that came from a teacher who let me take a test on, on the floor, you know? Um, so just super thing, were there any like specific experiences or individuals and i'm sure you guys have more than one but one that you can really pick out who really influenced your decision um to become an educator now brandon i know you said "Uh, uh-uh, i was not in it for this but was there like this moment where you were like oh oh this i see sky doing tutoring i could do this yeah um well like i stated like there were teachers pushed me well my teachers pushed me to be a middle school teacher because that's where i i feel like i had the most success as a student and I was cared for. I was loved on. Um, I got to do school differently. Um, I was in a gifted program in Texas, um, from Texas originally, and they we just we did projects. We studied. We learned how to make movies. Um, it was just an in a humanities class, right? So my humanities teacher, um, shout out to Miss Stevens, like she just really kind of opened my eyes to different things. Uh, we got to. We got to work with Nokia back in the day and we got to um, make videos with them. So it's like, it's the experiences outside of the classroom, experiences that take you further that help, I think, cultivate you as a student and to kind of push you into where you're going to be or where you should go. Yeah. Landon, did you have any um, teachers or that kind of jump out to you? Was there like a moment that you were like, oh, this would be good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. Like I had a... 10th grade social studies teacher, uh, Miss Lauterbach. And um, just uh, when I got to 10th grade, there was, I had never had a teacher like that, that um, invested into the kids, into the students. And um, the same with, like you mentioned, had Mr. Hattersley. Um, what was so key about both of those that um, kind of inspired me to, to who they were and to kind of um, follow that was was the relationships they built and that's one of the aspects I take to my classroom with me today that I that I learned from them was um, when you have strong relationships uh, positive relationships with students um, it makes a world of difference in how they're going to interact in your classroom how what their perception of you is and of that subject matter um, science is not always the subject that every student loves I mean, I, I personally think it should be one of the best, but um, yeah. And I just, I, I think the biggest part that, that makes it for students is, is the connections that you make with them. You make them want to be there. Um, one part that we, I think, when I, when I reflect back on the bad teachers too, sometimes I carry those things in with me consciously or subconsciously. And we kind of, at times as educators, um, we kind of become the educators that we experience as kids for the good and the bad. And mm-hmm. it took me a while, sometimes wake up calls from students, um, sometimes wake up calls from admin that, you know, something I was doing just wasn't connected with the students and or wasn't wasn't being beneficial to them because I was carrying things that that I saw as a student growing up and um, kind of carrying that in my own classroom. But um, mm-hmm. what the, one of the positives I took was 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 building strong relationships with students and seeing some of the educators I work with that struggle with um both classroom management and just getting students to grow is is they lack they lack a positive relationship with students. Mr. Hey. Smalls, Mr. Smalls is waving his hands. I think he Did might. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. I 
it starts with the link from your school because I was trying not to download the stupid app. The stupid app made me do sent me three separate codes for each step of trying to log in. Yeah. I don't just let me log in. This, me, it's like it's fine. But you're here now, Mr. Schwab. Yeah, well, apparently we're gonna discuss CIA secrets or whatever. By the way, I just want to point out <laughs> I never had Landon, so I'm not one of his bad teachers either. I, so <laughs> so as as we were kind of talking through, Mr. Schmaltz was actually a teacher at Landon and I's high school. Um, I actually never had Mr. Schmaltz either, um, but uh, Mr. Schmaltz was the, what were you, the the advisor for Under Pressure? Director coordinator, I think was my official title. I mean, director coordinator, writer, uh, counselor. <laughs> it was all kind of things that you did for Under Pressure, which is really going to, it's a great segue. I'm glad you hopped on now because I was going to say, um, as Landon finished talking that I, there, there were some significant teachers that, or teachers that really influenced my life that I never had as teachers. Um, and so as Landon was talking about relationships and making sure that you are building those, Mr. Schmaltz is a great example and his wife, Mrs. Schmaltz, who those are two teachers that I never was in their classroom, but I definitely went there during study hall <laughs> and I definitely, you know, they had uh, Under Pressure, which was this group that talked about just life, how life be life in. Um, and, you know, I mean, I remember like how powerful they would influence us to write down things that happened to us. As a matter of fact, Mrs. Schmaltz, like this is like, wow, but Mrs. Schmaltz was actually the first person that I told about being sexually assaulted when I went away to college. Like she, I came back to school and was just standing there talking to her. And I wrote like this long thing out and she was just, she stood there and she hugged me. And I was like, like that's real impact where the, I knew that this was like a safe space, you know? Um, so Mr. Schmaltz, tell us how long you have been teaching. Uh, <laughs> now we know Landon and I know we graduated in 2001. So, and you were teaching before we got this. <laughs> it's been a little time. Y'all can, <laughs> uh, I started teaching before Bill Clinton was reelected. <laughs> you gonna make I'm not giving you years. <laughs> no, like you, also, you also taught in like the number one. I like to say like my my brother and sister went to the school that you student taught at. I think so. Hughes? You were, you were at Hughes, yeah, yeah. Um, I I was at Hughes for a year, and then Lisa was there for three, and then we kind of made our way up to Lakota. Just because, I mean, you know, that's kind of, that was kind of the intent anyway, but the, the, the commute was awful. <laughs> yeah, I started at Hughes for a year and then I was at Lakota, been at Lakota the rest of the time. I love it. So, Mr. Mr. what made, um, you know, I asked the guys, you know, were there, was there any specific experience or individual that influenced your decision to become an educator? Um, the second career for me, I was in publishing before this. And um, I was, have you guys had to deal with textbook peddlers yet? No. I was one of those guys, you go to the conference and he's got the racks and he's saying, hey, buy this book. That was me. And then if you went to college during that time, which you guys didn't because you're too young, but if you went to college before I went back to teaching school, I was the one who sold the books to the bookstore. So 
<laughs> that was my job. And then I just kind of like was doing education from that side. And I said, eh. um, my problem is that if I think, God, this system's kind of crappy and I'm not doing anything about it, then I need to either put up or shut up. So yes. I decided to put up. And I don't know if that was a good idea yet. <laughs> I got about eight years to figure out if it was, and then I'm retiring. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I had, I can't say that there was a specific person or a specific experience. Um, it, it's a con- collection of many, you know what I mean? Like, just like I can think, like, there are things that I do when I'm teaching English comp with my seniors that I can hear my eighth grade English teacher, Mrs. Reinhardt, who just recently passed away, I can hear her talking. I can hear her telling me what to tell them. So there's like stuff like that. There's like just these little moments that like, oh yeah, that's this person, that's this person, that's this person. Yeah. But you know, there wasn't really like a moment or a th- it was just sort of like, I mean, literally I decided to UC for use because I went back to school to, for the teacher credentials. I went to UC and that was a coin flip. Eh, UC or Miami. Eh, I'll just go to UC. Okay. I mean, it was like that. It was just, there wasn't really any like this deep, profound, whatever. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to do this now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's short. I love that. No, I love that. And I love how three of us are, this is second career for, for us. So we're hopping on. And I'm, I'm the same way, uh, Mr. Schmalz, before you got on, I was saying how I couldn't talk about how the system was terrible and not do something about it. Like, I felt like it was my social responsibility. So, yeah. Uh, it's still terrible, but at least I'm part of it. <laughs> I like it. At least you're one classroom better. At least <laughs> one classroom better. That's okay, let me ask you this. Um, you got, I've got three men on here talking about the education uh, system and the field, rather. Uh, have you, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've encountered as male teachers in the education field? Or is it a big deal? Are we making a big deal and it's not one? I, all, you, all you teachers and nobody wants to raise their hand first. I make jokes about it, but like, like I, this, I have this, this standard line that I'll use at some point in class because I want to figure out where the kids are. And they talk about how hard it is to be a straight, white, cisgender American man. I mean, it's just like, it's you know, it's really hard when every door is open to you, what to figure out what to do, right? And um, But I think in some ways there's an advantage to being a male middle school, high school teacher. Mm. Because, you, and this is something we've noticed in the last few years especially, is that you have kids that you hear about, oh, this problem kid, and you start to figure out a pattern and the pattern is the gender of their teacher. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff that just by being, you know, an almost six foot tall, 200 pound man standing in front of the room, that there's just things that I don't have to like deal with on the flip side. And it's like, that's almost stereotypical, but it's like, it plays out so often. Yeah. They're like, so there's, I mean, for me, it's almost an advantage because you're like, well, and it's it it's really it's really more speaks to I think some of the misogyny of my students than anything else um, that they would even like like why would you even entertain treating me any differently than the teacher down the hall from me who's probably better at the job and more qualified than I am like yeah. how dare you but okay you know like and you know and it's Lakota so we're not exactly like 
hurting for the role model kind of thing and the boys are you know they all it, it, it but yeah i haven't seen it as i did have a moment during COVID. i'll share this and i'll shut up so there's all those like low level reasons you go to the clinic you know like just you gotta need a bandit or whatever and if you're a girl there's certain cycles that you need some yeah. extra and normally you go to the clinic for that, but they were trying to keep people out of the clinic unless they had COVID. So we all had these bags. And so at the beginning of the year, I told these girls, I'm like, I've got all this first aid and I've got tampons here. I know none of you will ever ask me for one, but just in case I'm putting them over here on the counter. And that was like the only time I've felt male. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Shout out to you. Mr. Smalls has the, has the tampons, guys. Go get them from him. That's hilarious. Well, we all did. We all had them. Yeah, that's for real. We all had them. <laughs> all right. Uh, Landon, what about you? Can you re just remind me of the question? I was just, I was in, that was a good story. But can you <laughs> remind me what the question you're asking? Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm good. I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, I don't, it's definitely not like a disadvantage, but kind of what he was saying is, um, I was told my first year I could walk in a classroom and my first year I taught third grade and was definitely the first experience most of those students had with a male teacher. And um, just automatically, I have that respect because because of being a male. Um, and um, I've kind of come across a um, little more than six feet and a little more than 200 pounds um, as a bigger guy and can come across as um, I tell my students to begin the year that, you know, I, I may look like that big grizzly bear, um, but at times I'm a teddy bear. But then, you know, there will be times I have to pull that mama bear, though I'm not mama. Um, and uh, just, I think, you know, there there's, I don't, you know, get white male straight. I don't have a lot of closed doors on me. And um, I, I think, you know, I work, my first um, teaching job was in Phoenix, Arizona, and I taught in um, predominantly Hispanic communities. And there was a, I think there was a learning curve there of working in a different culture. Then I moved to Michigan, and I taught uh, five years in an in inner city there, and just a totally another learning curve. But that was where I felt very drawn to, and um, where I felt like I needed to connect at that time, and um, did a lot of growing and a lot of learning. Um, so there, I think that was my biggest hurdle was a lot of learning just how um, to work with different cultures and diverse communities and to be in there as a place of respect and teaching from their culture and not bringing in my white male gender culture and trying to teach from that perspective because that that was not going to connect with my students that was not going to help them learn. Um, so that was where I had to come in and, and learn. Um, and even back to the the hygiene, I, I've, I've found that it is kind of a difficult subject at times to talk with your male teacher about. Um, and students find ways to kind of communicate with my female students about, you know, especially teaching middle school when when that wow. comes about. But I've um, made a space for that and I have a, what's called a hygiene drawer. And I tell the students the first day of school, whatever you need is in here, whether it's deodorant, toothbrush. Yeah. And I even pause and I say, and then whatever, you know, the females need is in here too and they catch on right away the boys sixth grade boys it just goes right over their head what i'm talking about right but the girls know and they know it's there 
And throughout this year, I had to restock it multiple times because they knew, and it was often a place where, you know, it's not visible in the classroom. They can come grab what they need and go. By the end of the school year, there were students that came up to me and said, hey, um, I need to get from your drawer. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, of course it's okay. Um, so they're kind of built that comfortability, but um, it takes some time to get there. Like that's more something that they'll, they'll lean on the female students, which is totally fine. Like even at home um, with my own sixth grade daughter, uh, I kind of let, I know she's not comfortable having that conversation with me. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be happy to bring it up, but she'd rather talk to mom about that. So, yeah. yeah. And she doesn't probably doesn't want to talk to the science teacher about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got this book. <laughs> All right. I love that. Brandon, what about you? Um, I would say um, very similar um, experience um, being a male teacher, being able to walk into the room, commander room, um, don't have the same issues um, as other, as the female teachers may have on my on my team. So since we worked in teams in my school. Um, so as far as discipline, all those things. Um, and I also think that it, it sometimes makes it a little easier um, in that perspective, right? But then also on the flip side, me being a black male teacher, I had an issue coming in like my, I think it was my second second to third year teaching. Um, I'm also a coach. So at the time I coached football, I coached track. And so I was loud, I'm loud, um, just naturally loud, especially in the classroom, trying to get students attention, things like that. It's not a classroom management issue or anything like that i'm just naturally loud well i had a one of my admin come in and she was observing me and um she thought it was a classroom management issue she looked at it and she was like why are you yelling at the kids and i'm like i'm not yelling i'm just it's just i'm, I'm just naturally loud and so it was a it, it was a thing right and i got um placed on a pdp i did all these things i had to go through right but it was a learning experience for me definitely um it helped me kind of shape myself a little bit more into um to i guess be more i guess calm in a sense and know the difference between a field and the classroom but um being a but it was just like a it was it just kind of caught me off guard because it's like I'm not the only loud person here. There's somebody yelling down the hall and I'm not even that loud. So it's like, I don't get it. But um, ultimately from that experience, I learned a lot. Um, I'm very, I take constructive feedback very well and I try to apply it when it's given to me and I try to do better. Um, and I got that opportunity to do that. And I learned a lot from that um, um, going forward. And so that would be like my struggle, I guess, with as far as being a, a male teacher and then, um, and I would say all of this that it's easier, I feel, for male teachers because our students lack father figures, a lot of them, in the classroom. And that's where, I think that's where that comfort comes from for our kids. Um, it doesn't matter, um, black, white, it doesn't matter, that doesn't matter when it's just a male figure that they're not used to having in their lives. Um, especially for the ones who don't who don't have fathers in their lives and even for ones who do um it's just another person they can talk to um especially if you build those relationships with them as you said earlier mm -hmm. i see a lot of that that's interesting that you bring it up because i obviously saw i mean i've seen the absent father from the beginning that's that's mm -hmm. almost easy yeah it's the present father who's not present 
he mm-hmm. lives with their dad and just does not have a relationship. And now you're sort of, you know, it's easy when the dad's not there to understand why you're filling that role. Like right. when the dad is there and you still feel like you're filling that role. Right. That's just this. I don't, I, I, I still, I mean, I've been doing this for a couple decades and it's still like, is that, that to me is the most unusual part of it. Like that. I don't know what to think of that, how to act on that. And mm-hmm. just like, what do you do with that? Like I am in a place I shouldn't be. You almost feel like you're stepping on somebody else's, you know, turf. And it's like, well, you're clearly not the father. <laughs> you know, no, I definitely agree. I had the issue this year. I had a kid call me dad, but I talked to his dad. His dad's involved. So I'm like, wait, hold on, I'm not your dad. <laughs> like, I need you going on telling your dad that you call me dad. Like, we don't need any problems. So, yeah. Maybe you've got a father, but not a dad kind of thing. Right. But do y'all think that, like, I think about how long kids are in school. And the truth is, like, during the week, you know, educators spend more time awake with mm-hmm. kids than their parents do because they're they're going home, you know, three, four, five, six o'clock, and they may be going to bed at eight o'clock. So, mm-hmm. or nine or even 10, but I mean, you spent consistently 40 hours with them awake, seeing them and connecting with them in whatever manner. I think that that's what we're seeing. I was telling, um, I was, it landed in uh, Brandon and I were talking earlier and I was telling them how I'm just learning, you know, you can have a kid who is brilliant. Um, and what I'm seeing in middle school, you can have a kid who is brilliant, who knows the answers and cannot write in where I am, you know? And for me, that was a culture shock because I grew up in a fairly well-off area that I just never saw teachers letting us go to the net. Like, I remember them pulling kids out to help them get to where they needed to be. So just looking at like how some of the educators are so overwhelmed and thinking, you know, all of that and they're spending 40 hours with you and you're the one that speaks to them and speaks to the genius in them. I could definitely see how somebody, it, it could gotta get weird, but I could definitely see how it could be like, oh, this is like another parent to me because this person is stopping and paying attention to what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, that's 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 wild. I never really thought about that, guys. Thank y'all for sharing. Um, as you as you guys talk about like creating a positive learning environment. Is there any specific work that you do to create a safe and inclusive learning environment for your students? Is there any strategies that you employ to engage and motivate this, those particular students in your in their learning? Basically, how does your how do people know your classroom is safe? Like what how do people know like, oh yeah, you want to come, you want to come in here? What are some proactive things that you guys have done or seen? I think in middle school, um, <clears throat> one thing that I've done is just be very vulnerable with them um, and just be, give them the space to know that it's okay to mess up. It's okay to not be perfect. Um, and I, I show that even within myself and it, it's very simple, very small thing. But the first day I, I struggle with names. That's always been like my thing. And I think it relates to my adult ADHD, um, but it's not an excuse, but I, I have them all make like a, 
a, a table tent with their name on it um because i mean it's may it was may a month ago and there were still a few kids i had to like really think okay what's the kid's name, what's the kid's name? <laughs> um, but i i um i make my own table tent first and our art has never been my strength um but I, I intentionally like draw really bad because that's something I've heard in, in all my years of teaching across all grades. I'm not going to do this activity because I can't draw. I'm not going to do this activity because my, my handwriting is yeah. not great. And I, I be very, um, I become, I come off very vulnerable and just say, Hey, I draw a picture and I say, what did I draw here? Um, and it was, it was some sort of animal and they're guessing everything, but what I drew <laughs> because it's that bad. And I say, okay, so now I have set the standard that what I drew here and everybody guessed was a was a bear or something else. And I, I was totally different. You know, I set the standard for how bad art is in this class. You will do better and you have no excuse to not to say you can't draw. Um, and I just I so I, I think, you know, start with very vulnerable and just um, open yourself up to them. There were a lot of times two types of teachers I, I experienced growing up. Uh, ones that opened up to you and like built that relationship, made that connection and kind of told you that they um, kind of have a life outside of school and, and and welcome you into that, not like inviting you, but just like sharing that aspect of them with you. And so sharing, you know, who I am with my students um, opens the door, I think, for them to come in and be um, very open, very vulnerable. I share stories about my experience in sixth grade. Um, I was not the school district I graduated from, but I was in another one. It was a very, very hard year for me. Beginning of middle school is hard for so many students. Yeah. And to, to share my own story right like on the first day um, kind of gives them like a sigh of sigh of relief that, you know, what I'm feeling is 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 connecting with somebody else. And it may be someone that's much older than me, but um, that that I've been there, too, in that. Um, yeah, I had one student one time, though, in third grade, asked me, he said, Mr. Bell, what do you do on the weekends? And I said, I literally sit right here and wait for you to come back on Monday. And he paused and he said, dude, you really need to get a life. And I was just I was just totally joking, which I love to bring humor into my classroom. But, um, you know, share that life outside that you have outside with them um, and show them that you're a real person, too. Yeah. No, spot on. Um, I do very same thing. I do name tents first day. Um, it's about the relationship at the end of the day. It's about the relationship you create with them um, at the beginning. You being vulnerable. I share a lot about myself the first day because how can I ask them to share about themselves and be vulnerable if I'm not? Um, so I think that's definitely the key. And then just what you, even sometimes what you allow them to do in your classrooms. Maybe you might allow them to play a song, right? That they like, right? And just that moment or allow them to, they might slip and say something. How do you respond to them making a mistake? Um, I think all those things are the biggest things of what makes them feel comfortable or safe in your classroom. Even though, oh, they might slip and say a cuss word, but they know you don't tolerate that in your class. But you know they do it outside of class but they won't do it in front of you so it's like just what you allow and what you let them do i think when you're vulnerable and allowing them to do those little things allows you to be looked at as a safe person somebody that i can go to and be honest with or just to feel like i know he'll understand me or she'll understand me so yeah so an advantage of being old is you get a rep <laughs> right very true very and true so when you've been in the same like 
seriously, like when you were when you were in school, Sonny, still call you Charkita, uh, I was there, and I've been there ever since. So there's, you know, you get good and bad reputation things on. I like to think I'm sometimes good or not. So there's a lot of kids that come because I teach pretty much all seniors now, and really? there are kids that have heard of me. Oh. Their older brother had me. They know who I am. They they kind of have an idea what to expect. I steal um, Mrs. Fiferic that used to teach at Hopewell for a thousand years, who was like a legend, mm. used to do this thing, and I kind of stole it where she said, um, "Everything you've heard about me is true. Just assume it's all mm-hmm. true, <laughs> yep. and it'll be fine." And but I, I mean, I think for me, the, I, there's this. Did you all do the thing in teacher school where they told you about you have to have like a classroom persona, and there had to be this like thing that you, this person that you projected, and I tried to do that early on, and I realized. And this is an under pressure thing. Holy cow. Uh, Christian Dawson, who's a 2001 Lakota grad, uh, he did a a scene and it still sticks with me and it still gets me emotional. But he said the line, who you really are is all I really need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, I hear that every year when you go into the classroom and you're trying to, if you are not real, Mm -hmm. you're dead. Um, Yeah. Uh, to new teachers, I tell them that because it's like if yeah. you try to craft this persona and do this thing, if we are not, they're gonna smell it and they're gonna pounce on you like sharks. Yes. And so I think that's the and the other thing is, I mean, and I think we we do a terrible job of this in the general education system. Is it's you're gonna fail and it's okay. You're normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I deal with kids who like B for bad, and I I literally spend the first month of school practically berating them for that. Like, say, you're going to get an 85 on this essay. It's okay. You're going to be fine. And, you know, I just think that there's that that idea of, yeah, it's stressful and you might try really hard and you might fail and it's okay. Who cares? You're going to you're gonna graduate. You're going to do whatever. And um, But, you know, all those things, just you just see that over and over again, just this terror of, like, failure. And I had one student describe my class, this is my senior comp class, as the most stressful least stressful class I've ever taken and I like and I like that's a badge of honor to me because it's like I'm going to stress you out and then I'm going to teach you how to deal with the stress I'm not going to take the stress away but you're going to cope because later on there's real stress in your life and if you don't know how to cope now you're (laughs) when it gets real you're screwed like oh my you got a bad grade in an essay what about when you get fired (laughs) (laughs) like I'm going to cope on that (laughs) like if you never had to cope with it, then what am I doing? Right. No, that's so <laughs> that's so good. Let me ask y'all this. It's thinking about that, thinking about worst worst things ever in a in a sense, you know, I want to ask y'all about teaching during COVID. Like, was there any point that was that you were like, oh, they are getting it? Or were you just like, this is this is not it? Like, we don't know what to do. Uh, what was it like being an educator during that time where kids needed it, you know, families needed it, but it just was, I, I felt like it, it looked impossible. So I was like, I don't know how they are doing this. <laughs> Wait, do we all teach in different states? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that that plays into the educational experience and the teaching experience a lot basically we went home for six weeks that was it 
when we came back in the fall, just like normal, we had masks on and we had a we we went to a, a double block schedule. So we only had like four classes a day, alternating days, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I loved that year. Did you? We had well, we had a principal for a year who was awesome. I loved her. We got along great. We were like, and she was gone after a year. I won't go into that. Oh, uh, there was a lawsuit. Uh, she won. Um, it, so she, we were, it was so in for everything that that went through for me, not our school, for me specifically, it was great. I teach, a, I only had one course that I taught. I had five periods a day of that. And then I had one period of like virtual learning, which basically meant managing kids on Apex, which was, you know, pretty tough. Um, and the class was, it's a, it's a college composition class. So my kids and my seniors get dual credit. So all I did was I saw them every other day and I went, well, if I do this and I do this and it, I just ran it on a college schedule. So I was teaching a college class on a college schedule. So it was like, I am the wrong person to ask that question because I would do that year with masks over and over and over again. No, that's I, so I'm the wrong. So y'all, you talk about how hard it was because I miss that year. Like it literally makes me emotional thinking about how awesome that year was for me, <laughs> uniquely for me. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. That was a completely left field that I did not see coming. So thank you for schooling me. Uh, what about you too, Landon, Brandon? What about y'all? Uh, my experience wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible. Um, we left. What was that March? like 13th, 14th, whatever it was. And we actually went virtual, like after two weeks. Um, we, our schools, our school, my school district pushed out computers to everybody to make sure everybody had a computer, all the all this stuff. Um, and we put out some assignments. Um, then we came back in the fall and you really got to see a lot of students' home lives in this time period and how like what they have to deal with at home. And a lot of my students had to take care of brothers or sisters or and different things like that throughout this time period. Um, it wasn't impossible. Um, it definitely was a challenge only because to keep their concentration um, through this lens. Um, and like Mr. Small said earlier, it's about you having a rep. I'm, I've been at the same school for nine years. And so I have a reputation at this point and I'm, my kids, Pretty, I, I think they like me, right? So it's like, um, so they would come to my class, they would be there. Um, they would kind of take care of business a little bit. Um, some kids you, you definitely had to fight with um, and kind of force them to do something, not force them, but just kind of make sure they were staying on top of them. Um, but ultimately though, I really, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, you got not so much talk back right during this time period they were a little more calmer um because it was uncharted waters for every for everybody especially coming back into the classroom um a little afraid a little not um so it was it was a it was a calm time period but um it was still very interesting but i i don't think it was it wasn't hard for me especially because i was pretty decent with technology i think teachers who had the real issue was who struggled with technology who couldn't who didn't know um, left and right when it came to a computer and just really struggled. But overall, I had a pretty great experience. Um, 
with COVID. Would I do it again? Probably not, but because I enjoy the connection, but uh, it was definitely, it was a experience. I'm not going to say the best or the worst, but it was definitely an experience. Yeah, I definitely say, yeah, an a experience. Um, prior, like leading up to, to COVID in 2020, in the fall of 2019, I took on a new role in the school I was on. Um, I went from the like traditional classroom to teaching a STEM program and I was teaching in a K-8 school at the time. And so I went from teaching um, fifth grade students to teaching everybody and started the year off doing that. And I also um, seeing a need within our school um, as we were getting closer to one-to-one before COVID um, and just my experience with technology and understanding of it, I volunteered not volunteered but took on a smaller um other job of like managing our school's technology um thinking hey this is going to be something i can do on the side make a little extra use my experience uh having no idea that it would become my full-time job in march of 2020 and my part-time job would be uh the stem job um so uh that was definitely um the biggest thing for me but i i i don't want to say I enjoyed it, but um, it just was a time to like um, knowing that this was something like none of us had ever experienced. And how can I fill the needs of my students? How can I fill the needs of our school community and be in that technology source and help when so many people were struggling to uh, to kind of just um, manage all that and how to how to uh, go through all that of like learning how to learn from home. Um, when it came to my classroom, I just made it something where I can connect with students because they were losing that connection um, with their friends and how can my students connect and how can they grow and just finding unique ways to reach them, not worrying so much about are they mastering the standards, but um, are they feeling connected? Were they feeling, um, was there some sort of outlet for them? So yeah, that was that was kind of managing that when it came back to school, um, the toughest part was we had to keep masks up and just reminding kindergarten students not to eat your mask, not to share masks with friends, but to uh, keep your mask covering your nose and your mouth. And that was <laughs> the worst part of I, that. So, yeah. Like you guys who teach the younger ones, I don't even know how you did that. Like, that's what I'm saying. I'm dealing with literally adults. Like I have 18 year olds in my room, mm-hmm. hang your masks off. And they were, it was really awesome. Cause by the second week of August, when we were in, cause we went right back like a normal year. Um, there was like social judgment and mask bullying that I was like, I'm okay with this. Like some other kid was like pulling their mask down and coughing. They're like, what the hell are you doing? So there was like this whole, so, I mean, there was, it was that to have to tell a five-year-old, you know, good for you. But I think the, the, be, the, it's not just that. I just think there's so much and it's actually disappointing in retrospect because it seems that we've abandoned it all, but there was so much that I had to think about how I do this job. It was mm-hmm. such a creative time to just like figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? And so the way that we worked is that we had, we gave a virtual learning option and about a quarter of our kids did it. So we had 500 yep. kids that were out and 1500 kids that were in. So for us, it was more or less normal. Our classes were a little smaller, mm-hmm. but some of the kids that did that, because I've had them in subsequent years, I had one girl say it was the best year of my life. Because she and all of her friends were virtual, they they could they they were self motivated enough to get their work done, and then they just kind of went and hung out. So they didn't have to get up early in the morning, and they did all this. And it was really like 
and that that was surprising and the, the years that it's so the last two years i've had kids that did that and they've all said kind of that same thing like there were some things i really liked about it um and for them it wasn't missing their friends it was that some of their friends were in school and they weren't that they didn't like mm-hmm. so like because they're all oh, my three friends are in school and i'm not there with them mm-hmm. but had they all been out i think that would have been different so it was like everybody talks about all this mental health crisis that COVID caused and all this kind of stuff and it's like yeah, the mental health crisis was already there we're just coddling it now because we think COVID like destroyed them and I it, like it like I remember like there was some there was it was sad it was a terrible story about this girl in California who had taken her own life and it was like March 25th and it was talking about see this mental health crisis because of COVID mm-hmm. is happening like that girl was already suicidal that girl, you know covid might have helped but it was like she wasn't like happy on may march 12th and then march 13th happened and then suddenly so i think there's a lot of that that i find frustrating because it's sort of like the the, the aftermath of that especially in the administrative level what i see is oh we can't you know covid see what happens just got the you know we're just behind because of covid and our response keeps coming our kids were out for six weeks three years ago i think they can catch up it's like having an extra couple snow days yeah yeah i think um honestly i'm yeah i'm shocked like i had no idea that you know from the other perspective that it wasn't impossible like i i feel like just like uh smalls is saying that it it's been perpetuated like oh my goodness it's terrible and, and i'm like oh my gosh how did you guys do like i'm all in pity voice and you guys are like what are you talking about it was fine <laughs> i mean it wasn't perfect by any means but i feel like that is the the girt of a of a true educator where you have to be flexible and figure out how to get your kids to understand and connect with whatever you're teaching. Today, um, Small to be so excited. I am a, this is my second day of ELA and social studies teaching. So, ooh, oh, look God. okay. <laughs> and so we're reading this, we're reading this book about um, like Southern Sudan as, as they were, you know, in the middle of our, the, it's basically based on the Lost Boys. And so um, as we were talking through it today with these seventh grade students, who are in summer school because they really need some additional help to go to the next grade. Um, as we were talking through some of those things, we were talking about like, um, you know, how different cultures can have, uh, you know, markings that they put on their face. And one kid was like, I don't get like, why would you mark up your face? And of course I have like this long, like, sleeve of of tattoos and i go well same reason why my arm looks like this and it was literally like a light bulb went off right i knew that this child who highly likely had never left atlanta Mm -hmm. could not fathom what's going on on another continent but he could fathom this teacher in front of him that has tattoos up up her arm right and so i wonder like have you guys ever had this moment where it it like where you see the light bulb go off in one of your students like what what did that feel like for you to now i'm i'm a fresh two days in so i would love to hear your how does it feel for decades in how does that feel you know to be able to say oh man the light like does the light bulb still go off sometimes or is it more like because you have a reputation 
people are like, yeah, the light bulb's on because you're going in their class. You know, how does that, how does that, you know, show up every year? I think we still yearn for that light bulb moment mm-hmm. um, yes. every year in every class, um, trying to find those students who actually understand and who actually put forth what we've you've taught them or what, what they're learning or they get it. Um, I think that's something I, I definitely look for that always. I think it, it what helps me continue to teach. It helps me know and reminds me that I am making a difference. So for me, that's what I'm always looking for. Landon, what, you, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's lots of light bulb moments throughout the throughout the year. Even you know, you get some throughout the day. Um, and yeah, I want them to like my, my times. My job is to connect them to the standard and help them learn the standard. But I'd rather connect them. And what I feel is is the bigger picture is connecting them to um, what what does what does the process of like an engineering design process or what does the process of thinking like a scientist how does that connect me to the real world because that's a lot of times students ask me how am i going to use um kinetic and potential energy in the real world well you're you're going to use it every day whether you realize you're using it or not but what i want you to connect with more than anything is how to think like that and if you're a scientist or if you're um fashion design whatever you choose to go into i want you to have that mindset and to think critically to think for yourself to um, learn how to effectively argue um, what you know and how to back that up with evidence and not just spew what you hear or what you think think is is um truth out there but to actually back up what you think and so they always ask me like well how am i supposed to connect this what i want you to connect is the ideas what i want you to connect is how to think how to be a productive citizen in society um to steal from uh ted lasso's i i want them to learn to be better versions of themselves um you know it's not about i mean yeah it's about the test when it comes down to my job performance but it's about them becoming better versions of themselves from when they walked in my classroom on the first day to walking out and the light bulb moments for me really are when they start to um use those that that thinking process um whether it's in friendships relationships whether it's in their school learning whether it's in something in the real world i think it's not for me it's not like looking for the light bulb moment it's sometimes you stop appreciating it like i get them all the time it's not because it's not because of me i think it's just when you teach english and you teach composition and kids have to write personal stuff and when they have to do all this kind of stuff and they have to do research about something they care about when they really get into it that's going to happen i mean it's just it is like i heard i when i was trying to get on before you know you mentioned the personal relationship thing that's the new buzzword in education it's like I don't know how teaching calculus, you're going to do that. But I do know how if I'm teaching you catch on the ride, I'm there. Like, I don't even have to try, right? You're, we're already talking about how hard it is to be 17 or whatever. So I think it's it's more on my end that sometimes like you almost stop appreciating like, oh, another one. Oh, look, another kid. You know, it's like you have to like find ways to just to recognize it and honor it internally. Like, I don't need to kids don't need praise for every last thing they do i think that's part of the problem um but at some point just to to say yeah this actually worked actually like something i did helped and you know i always joke with them it's like the one thing i just don't want to have happen i want you to go to college next year and i want you to walk into a classroom 
and I want you to like have a professor note that you are not like the other dumbasses in the room. And right. It's because of an idea. <laughs> that's all I. That's all. Really, all I want for you. <laughs> like as long as that happens, because uh, I had that happen one time, and it was just on using MLA headings in an essay. And I had two girls who graduated in December, and in January started at UC. And I hammer that in, and it's not because I think that the format's important. It's it, because because it, I tell them this is a stupid easy detail, so you should get stupid easy details right. So you know I just joke about with it. So I said that, and they went in, and they were in a class in UC freshman UC comp second semester, and they said they sent me an email each of them separately thanking me for doing that because no. their whole class got berated by the professor except for the moment when the professor singled the two of them out and said except for you two so it's like you're at your friend's house and your friend's in trouble and they're getting yelled at and you're just in the other room hearing this giggling they got that experience so there was like that that's like a light bulb for me something stupid but at <laughs> least like they got you know they, they said i felt better prepared than everybody else but, i love that so my last question is do you all i mean just been amazing hearing all of you all's stories and hearing your perspectives um but is there one thing like what advice or what invitation would you give for aspiring teachers you know what advice would you give to all aspiring teachers but specifically even like other men who are thinking about coming into education or considering a career in education is there any advice in any thoughts that you would say you mean besides don't? Yes. <laughs> um, first of all, you're not going to be teaching forever, Smalls. We got to replace you. Somebody got to replace you. My my brother is a radiologist, and we have actually had this conversation because it's similar. It's a similar set of advice, and this is what I tell all my kids who say they want to be teachers because they're 17 and they're thinking you know whatever. And I'm like, if I can't talk you out of it then you're ready to do it because my my advice i guess has to be is you have to be sure that you want to do this and you have to be sure repeatedly that you want to like not like starting the program like first semester you're done you're taking your few methods classes or whatever all those things that like literally do nothing to prepare you for the classroom but you had to take them so every time you every set of hoops you jump through keep saying do i want to do this and you know and even once you start working do i still want to do this because there's a point where you're kind of locked in and you yeah. if you are not sure that you want to do it i i got nowhere else to go i mean i can do other jobs no one's going to hire me for the salary i'm making now which is thanks lakota taxpayers um but it, it, I, it, that's the thing it just are you sure you want to do this and i think you should do that about every career but if, mm -hmm. but if you're asking me about teachers are you sure because it's there are you if you don't cry five times during the year this is a male teacher thing um you're probably doing it wrong and i've had student teachers say, look you're gonna go good job you've done a great job if you don't cry three times the first week of school um that would be unusual and what you have to do is go back the next day and you'll be fine wow, wow. <laughs> so that's my advice <laughs> I'm gonna hear, I want to hear you guys' advice. I might need it. No, um, I agree with you, honestly, because it's not it's not for the faint of heart. It's um, 
um, it's definitely a passion thing. It's not a, oh, I'm gonna just go do this because you can't just hop in the classroom and expect it that to happen. Um, I, I totally agree with what you said, Mr. Smalls. Like you have to want to do it, and you have to want to be there. Um, and and it's for it's for the students at the end of the day. It's not for you. It's not for the district. It's it has to be for them, and you want it what's best for them. Definitely. So you have to keep pushing. Yeah, and I think you know when you talk about you know think over and over again is this what you is this where you want to be is this what you want to do, um, and think too is this where because there's like you said if you're not crying at some days coming home, or on your way in or in between classes or something, uh, at some point during the year um, you are have you lost have you lost the heart for it because it it takes a whole lot of energy. I learned very quick my first year there is no tired like the first week the first month the teacher tired mm-hmm. um, uh, there's May. a lot of there's, first week of May. Or, or first week of May <laughs> or you know first week anywhere else um but I mean there's a lot of hard jobs out there but I, I've done some of those and there's there was no tired like that first few weeks and um is your is your heart still there is your is um because yeah the work's always going to be the the the, the mundane tasks are always going to be there, but where's your, where's your heart at? Cause if you're in there and it's not, um, you're, you're losing your students, you're losing who you are as yourself, um, taking that home. And I had one piece of advice from my first principal ever is, um, never work harder than your students. Um, some days I'm still trying to figure that one out and trying to do that, but never work harder than your students. Um, especially you know they should be the ones doing it and you're the one you're kind of pushing them forward preparing for that what's next that's good i had to think about it i was like oh okay (laughs) that's good well thank you guys is there anything any last thoughts that you guys want to share with all of your wisdom i mean we have about 50 years of teacher expertise uh, well 50 years plus two days uh (laughs) <laughs> this is how you're making me feel old because half that's me <laughs> i mean i wasn't gonna point it out but i was adding brandon in my, in my time i'm like wow that's a lot right. of time all <laughs> right well it, it is interesting because we're there's like these times because our english department is aging although we're starting to retire pretty soon um but there's like 15 of us and it's like 300 years plus of teaching that's experience. Crazy. And, and so like when people try to tell us how things are it's fun to just sort of drop that. So you know, my department is like 300 years of this. You're gonna you're gonna like overcome that much experience if you're gonna try to tell us this other thing that you want us to do is gonna work. It is a fun way to shut shut people down. <laughs> that's so, that's wow. Any any last any last thoughts that y'all want to share or anything um, before we wrap up? You guys have been amazing um, and definitely have been an encouragement to me um, <laughs> as I enter into my first year um, finishing out uh, student teaching during summer school is a good idea, but That's also right. not a good idea. I so- will leave you with the the other, I wrote a poem when I was taking classes at the Miami Ohio Writing Project. And it has stuck with me and I've had four te- student teachers and I've mentored a several new teachers and I've always given them this same piece of advice. And it's this. Sometimes you have to call it a good day because you didn't say fuck in front of your students. <laughs> That's it. You can just say <laughs> I did nothing that, else. Nothing call else. Call it else. a victory. <laughs> I just need it. 
That is <laughs> absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what? Everyone take that advice. <laughs> Shout out to all of the educators who are, you know, on their summer breaks or working summer school or getting ready to go into the new year. I really appreciate you, Landon, Brandon, Schmalti, for coming and hanging out with me this evening. All three of you are educators that have for real touched my life. And I've been so honored um, to just watch y'all develop um, over these years. So thank you once again. If uh, if there are any, we don't have any last thoughts. So I'm not going to tell people where to find you. You guys just comment. You uh, let them know if they want to they want to find you. I'm always conscious about teachers not being found. So we support the teachers. We love them. It's a secret society. Um, thank you so much for listening to the Sunny Side View, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to my Sunny Side View.